Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter number 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. You know, I never have been able to really explain the grace of God. I can describe it, amen, but I'm not sure I can explain it. I'm not sure I can say it in such a way that to my finite mind would would make any rationale as to why, amen. I can tell you what he did, but I really can't can't process why he did it, amen. Uh, if I had been God, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> I've often said, you better be thankful I'm not the Lord, amen. We'd all be in a mess if I was the Lord, but... I'm so thankful that he did. Deuteronomy chapter number 11. And uh, if I fuss at you for not amen, and it's because I can't hear out of this ear. Amen. So just expect to get fussed at a little this morning. It'll be all right. And uh, the what? All right. So Deuteronomy chapter 11. I'd like to begin reading in verse number one. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse number one. The word of God says, Therefore thou shalt love the Lord thy God. And keep his charge and his statutes and his judgments and his commandments always. And know ye this day, for I speak not with you children, which have not known and which have not seen the chastisement of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand and his stretched out arm, and his miracles and his acts which he did in the midst of Egypt unto Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and unto all his land. What he did unto the army of Egypt, unto their horses, and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea to overflow them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord hath destroyed them unto this day, and what he did unto you in the wilderness until ye came into this place, what he did unto Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the sons of Reuben, how the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their households and their tents and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. But your eyes have seen all the great acts of the Lord which he did. Therefore shall ye keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that ye may be strong and go in and possess the land whither ye go to possess it, and that ye may prolong your days in the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers, to give unto them and to their seed a land that floweth with milk and honey. For the land whither thou goest in to possess it, it's not as the land of Egypt from whence she came out, where thou sowest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot as a garden of herbs. But the land whither ye go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh water of the rain of heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. For the eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. Let's pray together. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for letting us gather in this place. I pray that you'd have your will and way. Give us liberty as we worship this morning to honor Christ, to praise and to please Him in all things. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God, I know it is never bound, but I pray that we give it entrance in our hearts today, that you'd do a work in us that would make us more like Christ. I don't know the heart's condition of any person in this room, but Lord, you know the heart of every person. And I pray if there's some that are lost and undone, you'd show them that need. Lord, they may have hidden. They may have concealed it. They may have even concealed it, uh, Lord, from those that are closest to them. But they know in their hearts that they're lost in need of Christ. And, Lord, you know it. I pray if that's the case with any person today, that you'd show them that need, that you'd convict them, Lord, in earnestness, and that they believe on you. Lord, I pray if any heart is wayward or wandering that you'd draw it to yourself. Any heart that's downcast and discouraged that you'd uplift it. But, Lord, that in all things you'd have your will and your way. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for being so good to us. Pray that you'd bless our time. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. 
I want you to take special notice of verses 11 and 12 of our text. Before I read it, let me just frame a little bit what is transpiring at this moment in the book of Deuteronomy. You know, the majority of the book of Deuteronomy is the retelling, of course, of the Old Testament law. But most of it transpires at one point and one moment in Israel's history. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, the book of Deuteronomy opens by telling us that the children of Israel, uh, they have uh, reached, after 40 years of wandering, the very precipice of entering into the wilderness, or excuse me, into the promised land. And God has commanded Moses to rehearse in their ears the great acts of the Lord and the commandments that he had given from Mount Sinai. And so while the book of Deuteronomy is rather lengthy, the majority of it is transpiring in a moment as Moses is speaking to the children of Israel. Now think with me for a moment about where they're at in their journey. It has taken them 40 years to make an 11-day journey. Let me just pause and say this. The, the, there is no more wasteful route between point A and point B than the one that takes you out of the will of God. When you wander out of the will of God, you waste more time, more resources, more energy than you ever would if you just stay in the will of God and serve the Lord. And so it's taken them 40 years to make an 11-day journey. But after these many long years of wandering, they are now finally at a transitional moment. They're getting ready to move both from the leadership of Moses to the leadership of Joshua, but also from the wilderness wanderings to the conquering of Canaan. It is at this pivotal moment that the book of Deuteronomy transpires. And so it's important to note when you read through the book of Deuteronomy, all of the wisdom and truth that is contained in it is uh, uniquely situated for a people that are getting ready to go from one way of living to a new way of living, from one way of existing to a new way of existing. It is a transitional moment in Israel's history. So it is no surprise that as Moses is exhorting the people, he makes this statement about the land of Canaan. Verse 11, he says this, the land whither ye go to possess it, it is a land of hills and valleys. Now let me just pause there and make a, a passing comment about that. Can I say this next year may contain a lot of hills and a lot of valleys? You may find yourself uh, exalted loftily on high of great moments of uh, joy and success and accomplishment. You may at the very next moment find yourself cast into the deepest despair. Uh, no doubt, if it looks like most of the years we've lived, it's a time of hills and of valleys. But it's interesting that Moses is not saying this to suggest that it is difficult to reign. But rather, he is saying to them that this is the type of land where it only grows if God nourishes it. He says in Egypt, and I, boy, I'm, I'm getting ahead in my message, I, but, but that's okay. You won't mind when I preach it again here in about, uh, the, you know, an hour and ten minutes. So, But what he's saying is... You're used to living in Egypt where you could irrigate and, and uh, nourish the soil by your own energy. But now you're coming into a land where if it's going to get done, God's going to have to do it. He says, it drinketh the water of the rain of heaven. He says, it's a land which the Lord thy God careth for. I'm glad he cares about what happens to us in 2024. He says, the eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it. I'm glad he's watching what we're going through. And then he says this, from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. It's interesting this time of year, isn't it? I, you know, it's sort of, and I don't know, you, you, all the magic leaves your life when you become an adult. Everything just is painted in grayscale. And 
uh, the older people get, I'll ask them, say, it'll be their birthday. I'll say, uh, you know, how's your birthday? And they'll say, just another day, you know, just manage not to die. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, it's funny when you become an adult, I remember being a child and we'd come to New Year's Day, we'd sit and we'd watch the, you know, the ball and everything. And I mean, it was exciting and all that stuff. And now, you know, if we're not careful, it'll just kind of feel like, well, it's just another day. This time of year, it's interesting because we view it as a transitional moment. And some of that is arbitrary, but some of it's meaningful. We reckon our lives in years. We often plan our goals in terms of years. We count off our experiences in years. And no doubt in your life, when you cast your memory backwards and begin to remember things, you often will associate them with certain years. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying this. In some ways, January 1st will be like uh, December 31st. But in other ways, we are literally standing on the precipice of an entirely new year, a blank canvas filled with possibilities and potential and pitfalls as well. You see, in a lot of ways, we're sort of standing at a similar position as the children of Israel were. Think with me for a moment about some of the things that the Lord says to them. There are two things that set sort of the the context of this passage. The first is the lessons that were behind them. Moses tells them in verse number 2, Ye know this day, for I speak not with your children which have not known and which have not seen the chastisement of the Lord your God, His greatness, His mighty hand, and His stretched out arm. Moses says, I'm speaking to you because there's some things you've experienced. There's some things that you've learned. There's some things that you've seen. You know, every time that God works in our life, that bespeaks to us a greater responsibility. When God works in your life and in my life, we can't just go on living like He hasn't done that. When God does something great in your life and in my life, we can't just go on living like that never happened. And He reminds them that He's not speaking to people that are dwelling in ignorance, but to people that have learned some lessons through their wanderings in the wilderness. He begins to tell them about it. He he reminds them of some of the things that God had done for them and what they had learned. In verse number 3, he reminds them of how the Lord had prevailed for them. He says his miracles and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt, unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and unto all his land. It was no small thing when God wrestled a slave labor force of two and a half million from the hand of the most powerful man that lived on the face of the earth, when he despoiled the gods of Egypt and proved them to be false and fake and hollow and empty. And here Moses is reminding them, hey, when you look back in the past, you remember how God won great victories for you. I don't know what your 2023 looked like, but I can tell you this, God did some amazing things in my life. God gave great victory over things in my life over this past year. It's not been my victory and it's not been I that's done it. It's not been I that's accomplished it. But if I'm to be honest, if I'm to be sincere, when I look back, hey, you say, preacher, haven't there been hard times? Oh, uh, certainly there have. Uh, Undebatably so. But can I say, hey, God has done some amazing things over this past year. He had prevailed for them. Verse number 4, he reminds them how he had protected them. He says what he did unto the army of Egypt, under their horses, under their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea to overflow them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord hath destroyed them unto this day. I marvel sometimes to think about all that God protected me from over this past year. I mean, just driving in Knoxville's enough. 
But I marvel to think about all the things that God did. His divine hand leading, guiding, protecting, shielding. I look at people that are better people than me whose lives are shipwrecked today. I look at people that were situated in more security and more stability than I could have ever hoped for whose lives are in shambles today. And I have to just say, hey, but for the grace of God, go I. He has protected me this past year. And I bet He's protected you too. Verse 5, he reminds them how he had provided for them. He says, what he did unto you in the wilderness until you came into this place. Now, that's a pretty broad statement, what he did unto you. We learn a little bit about that when we read both through the book of Exodus and also other places in the Bible, like the book of Psalms. We learn about how that the Lord miraculously kept the clothes on their back and the shoes on their feet. How that He gave them quail. How that He gave them manna. How that He brought water from the rock. I like how the psalmist said it. He furnished a table in the wilderness. He provided for them in ways unseen, unlooked for, and unexpected. And I just got to say, hey, this past year, He's provided for me. We're living, they won't tell you we're living in a depression, but we're living in a depression. And, uh, you know, but it's amazing. I haven't gone without. God's met every need. I mean, my life is still an embarrassment of, of, of riches and of, of blessings in spite of all that, that powers in this world would seek to do to despoil and to impoverish and to gut the middle class of our country. And, and yet I look at it, and, and I know, I go to the grocery store like you go to the grocery store, and, and I look at it, and I, I buy eggs like you buy eggs. I, I, I buy bacon like you buy bacon, probably more than you buy, to be honest. And, and, and you know, I, I look at it, but still, it's amazing. It's like every time we reach our hand down in that barrel of meal, and oil, there's always some there. Man, He's provided for us. Not only had He provided for them, He had purged them. Verse 6, He says, What He did unto Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the sons of Reuben, how the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up in their households and their tents and all their substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. I'm not going to dive too deep, but can I just say this? Hey, I'm thankful for some that God has brought us and I'm thankful for some that God has took from us. I remember talking to a preacher one time and we were talking about people getting mad, leaving church, things like that. He made this statement. He said, preacher, there's some of them I prayed into them pews and some of them I prayed out of them pews. You know, God's doing a purging work in your life and in my life all the time. Sometimes he has to take things that we love and things that are precious from us, things that we would have never surrendered on our own. Uh, choices we would have never made on our own. But God in His perfection, God in His providence, God in His leadership is guiding us with His careful hand, knowing what we need and what we don't need. Hey, listen, He had purged from their crowd some that were, were uh, leavening their righteousness, that were leavening their consecration. He had purged them. But then I'll hack verse 7. He says this, But your eyes have seen all the great acts of the Lord which He did. He had proved Himself to I mean, if we really want to summarize what Moses is saying here, he's saying, I'm writing to a group of people that have seen and heard and known what God can do. Listen, if there's no other lesson you take from 2023, just understand it ought to be this. If you're a child of God, if you've seen God work in your life, you ought to be reminded once again how faithful God is, how capable God is, how competent God is, how wise God is. He has proved himself to his people. The first thing that he mentions is the lessons behind them, but then he reminds them of the land that's before them. He says in verse number 8, Therefore shall ye keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that ye may be strong and go in and possess the land whither ye go to possess. He says you've got some amazing things behind you. 
And I'd have to lift my hand with Moses and say, I've got some amazing things behind me. But his focus is not on what's behind them, but rather on what's before them. You'll be helped a lot in life if you'll learn to forget those things which are behind and to press forward unto those things which are before. You say, preacher, you mean all those bad things? Well, when Paul was talking about it, he was talking about things that most people would have called good things. He was talking about his own self-righteousness. He was talking about his own uh, religious wisdom and his own religious intelligence. He said, I forget all that stuff. I leave it behind. I count them but dung that I may win Christ. He said, I'm not living in the past. He says, I'm looking to the future. And we'd all be helped if we'd learn to press forward and to press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's not got them focused on what's behind them. He's got them focused on what's before them. And he mentions three things about this land before him. I want to encourage you with them, and then I'll encourage you a little more and encourage you in a little more, and we'll be here three hours. Amen. Look at verse 9. He says, "...and that ye may prolong your days in the land, which the Lord sware unto your fathers to give unto them and to their seed." A land that floweth with milk and honey. Let me say, the land that was before them, it was a land of divine promise. He says, this land you're getting ready to go into is a land that God has promised you. And you ought to expect with every bit of anticipation and confidence that by the strength and help of the Lord, you'll be able to possess it. Now, let, let, let's make a little theological statement here. I, you know, there's a lot of both gospel songs and, and old-time preachers sometimes would preach this way. They, they would talk about Canaan as, as being a picture of heaven. And let me just say two things about that. One, if you get blessed by a song that talks about Canaan as a picture of heaven, go ahead and get blessed. <laughs> it probably ain't going to disrupt the, the theological equilibrium of your life. If you get help from a song that taught, hey, hey, to Canaan's land, I'm on my way. But when we study in our Bible, we find that if Canaan is a picture of heaven, I ain't sure I want to go there. Eyes full of pagans and giants and wild beasts and battles and warfare. No, I think the right of it is this. Canaan's not a picture of heaven, but rather Canaan is a picture of the life that God envisioned for his people. It is a place of conquest. It is a place of victory. It is a place of blessing. What does that mean to you and I as New Testament believers? Well, I would say this. If Canaan is a picture of anything that's relevant to your life and mine, we could say that it is a picture of the victorious Christian life that God has designed and desired for us. It's us living in the will of God, advancing in the work of God, and pleasing Him and growing in the Word of God. It is us living vibrantly in our Christianity. And so as they stand at the precipice of it, you say, Preacher, that's good that He promised that land to the Israelites so many long years ago. But can I remind you this morning that He likewise has uh, purchased for us and granted to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Hey, listen, God's desire for you is not to barely creep and crawl by. God's desire for you is not for you to claw your way through this thing called Christianity, but rather to mount up with wings as eagles and to walk with God in strength and in victory day by day. And I'm telling you this, I know, I've read the news, and they've already told us 2024 is going to be worse. Don't you know? Don't you know? That's how people are when they tell you bad news. Don't you know? If they thought you knew, they wouldn't be telling you. Don't let them fool you. Don't you know how bad it's going to be? I know how good the Lord's going to be. And I know this, I can either crawl up in my bed, pull the sheet over my head, pretend that there ain't a world out there, 
and waste and squander the time that God's given me and the opportunities that God has afforded me. Or I can in faith walk with boldness into a new year recognizing that it is just as surely as every year of my life that I've lived, it is a land of promise and potential. <laughs> hey, listen, it's a land of, of divine promise. But then look at verse 10. You say, preacher, ain't you, ain't you looked at the economic news? We're all poor. Well, you know, if everybody's poor, is anybody poor? <laughs> he says, <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 yeah, that's it. That's, that's what the, that's what WEF has envisioned for you, right? That made sense, didn't it? You'll own nothing and you'll be perfectly happy. Verse 10. Ask somebody that owns nothing if they're perfectly happy. Verse 10 says this, For the land, whither thou goest in to possess it, is not as the land of Egypt from whence she came out, where thou sowest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot as a garden of herbs. Now, let's pause. What does he mean there? Ancient Egypt was known for its irrigation systems. The Nile Basin would would flood, and they actually built intricate irrigation systems that would retain the water and and direct it this direction or that direction to be able to nourish uh, the soil and the silt that that, that was there that was brought down from the mountains into that region. It's part of the reason that, that Egypt was such an agricultural superpower at the time, growing grain and things of that sort, was because they had developed this irrigation system. In other words, they, through their own science, wisdom, cunning, and ingenuity had made the Nile River Basin a a vibrant and flourishing place. Here's what God says to Israel. The land you're coming in ain't like that land. It's not a place where you can water it uh, with your with your energy and with your activity and with your investment. It's not like a garden of herbs. He says the land whither ye go to possess it, it is a land of hills and valleys. He says this is how it's going to get water. It's going to drink up the water of the rain of heaven. So in other words, he's saying you're going into a land where if it's going to grow, God's going to have to grow it. And yet God has led you into this place. What does that suggest to you? Well, it tells me this. It's not only a land of divine promise. It's a land of divine provision. Preacher, how are we going to make it through 2024 the same way we made it through 2023? Trust in God, not government. Trust in a divine Lord, not a dollar that's devaluating at rapid pace. I, you know, uh, part, part of mm, my soul, part of what's so broken about Christianity is, is we have grown so dependent upon this world system that when it shakes a little bit, we shake with it. Uh, you understand that, that this whole thing of Bible Christianity is given to translate us from the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son to help us to transcend all of those earthly constraints and all of those earthly connections. Uh, listen, I'm not advocating that we uh, hide ourselves away like some monk in a monastery. I'm not saying that we somehow uh, put ourselves in a cave and, and pull a rock over the mouth of it. I am just saying this. If you want peace of mind, you're going to have to quit trusting things other than the Lord. He's where peace comes from. Preacher, how am I going to provide for my family? You're not, the Lord will. Preacher, how am I going to provide for, for, for my, my marriage? You ain't, the Lord will. You see, what God's going to do in your life in this coming year, it's going to take the Lord to do it. It's a land of divine provision, but I like verse 12. It reminds me it's a land of divine protection. He says, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. What does that mean, he careth for it? Does it mean it matters to him what happens there? Or does it mean he has the custodianship of it? Yes. Yes. It means this. He has the custodianship of our life. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't preclude our, our obedience. But it does mean if we're willing to obey him, he'll take care of everything else. But it also means he's interested in what happens in your life. 
I don't know if you believe this or not, but it's true. God cares more about what's going to happen to you in the next 12 months than even you do. You say, how do you know, preacher? Because he's planned for it. All you've done is complain about it. He's got a plan for your life. And this, listen, I get it. I understand. Everybody's drunk on despair. It's so easy to just plug in to this despair and rage machine that this world is constantly churning. And and, and it's easy to just find ourselves enamored with it. But as the people of God, instead we ought to look at this coming year with excitement and joy and boldness and faith, recognizing that the same God that was faithful for the last 365 days will continue to be faithful. I mean, I'm just going to, I hate to say I'm going to summarize it because you'll think I'm going to stop preaching. That ain't going to happen. But, but if I was to put it in a nutshell, it would be this. Don't go into this year scared. Go into it excited. Don't go into it nervous. Go into it boldly. Don't go into it wondering if it's going to work out. Go into it excited to see what God's going to do through it. And it's with that in mind that Moses mentions four areas of life that they needed instruction about. I want you to notice these four truths, and I'll be done this morning. Four things that he gives them a truth for the new year about. Look at verse 13. He says this, And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season. How important was that rain? It was the only way to water the land. It's what he just said in verse 12. He says, but if you'll serve me, if you'll love me, if you'll obey with me, uh, obey me, if you'll walk with me, he says, I'll give you the rain of your land in his due season. The first rain and the latter rain that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle that thou mayest eat and be full. Now, this is simple preaching this morning, but I want to say this. The first truth he gives them is about the barns. He says this, you want your barns to be full? Serve the Lord this year. You want your, you want the work of your hand to be blessed? Consecrate that work to the Lord this year. We've probably not for a long time lived in a state of, of such economic anxiety as we're living in today. There have been things unmoored from the economic underpinning of our civilization that have never been unmoored before, at least not for a long, long time. There are rules and standards that are being thrown out the window and things that used to make sense don't make sense. And a great many people are living in a state of of deep anxiety over what this next year will hold and how they'll make it through. Now, there's people raising kids, raising families. They don't know where it's going to come from. There's people that have bills and debts. They don't know how it's going to be met. But can I remind you that the same truth that has always been true is still true today. The key to provision in your life is consecration to the Lord and obedience to Him. Say, preacher, I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, here's what you should do. You should just commit yourself to serve the Lord to the best of your ability, to, to go further in your walk with Christ, to do more in the service of Christ, and you watch and see how God provides for your family. I'm not saying you shouldn't be wise. I'm not saying you shouldn't be prudent. I'm not saying you shouldn't make plans. I'm saying you can be wise and prudent and make plans and all of that to be no avail. But if you'll commit yourself to the Lord this year, He will provide for your every need. He mentions two things about the barns. Number one, He mentions what would make their crops fruitful. It's real simple in verse 13. He says this, Hearken diligently unto my commandments. That means obey the Word of God. 
Love the Lord your God. That means fall in love with the Lord. Make Him the, the, the apple of your eye. Make Him the desire of your heart. Serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. That means to advance forward in your walk with Christ. To serve Him. To labor for Him. To, to do things for Him in His service and in His care. In other words, the key to provision in your life this year is not financial, it's spiritual. It's a matter of making your business God's business by making God's business your business. And if you'll do that, you'll find that God always takes care of His business. He mentions what would make their crops fruitful, but then verse 16, He mentions what would make their crops fail. He says, take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven that there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit, unless ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. It's real simple what he tells them. He says, you want this upcoming year, your barns to be full, serve the Lord. He says, you want them to be empty, inexplicably so, then just turn your heart from the Lord and walk in your own way. It's interesting the things he says in verse number 16. He says, take heed to yourself. You know what that means? It means watch yourself. Watch yourself. In other words, it is not merely those that, that deliberately step out of the will of God that find themselves out of the will of God. But in fact, if we are not careful and cautious in the way that we live, we, even though we may have the best of intentions, may find ourselves out of the will of God. He says this, take heed to yourselves. Why? That your heart be not deceived. <laughs> Uh, you'll see a lot of people coming in this new year, they'll tell you to follow follow your heart. You hear people saying dumb stuff all the time. I mean, I, all the time. Follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. The biblical counsel is this, you better be careful your heart's not deceived. You say, but preacher, I want it with all my heart. Well, it may be the wrong thing. I'm going to say that again. But preacher, I want it with all my heart. Well, it may be the wrong thing. Your heart can want the wrong thing. How many times have you heard a young person say, but I want this with all my heart? And then looked at it and thought what destruction it'd bring to their life if they ever were actually given that thing that they desire. Funny thing about adults, they ain't really no different than children. They're just bigger with more debt. <laughs> and you could desire something with all your heart and it lead to your destruction and downfall. Take heed that your heart be not deceived. Why? Because you'll turn aside. Uh, we're going to, if the Lord tarries and if 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 he don't kill us, <laughs> then uh, we will be sitting here 300 and actually 66 days from now. Uh, maybe not here, but, you know, around that area we'll be gathered in church and we'll be talking about 2024. And I wonder how many people that are sitting here this morning will have turned aside between now and then. I tell our camp kids this a lot. You know, we, we, we'll have the same kids up at camp year after year after year. And I've often told our camp kids, there's kids that are not here this year that were here last year that were piled up on this altar weeping and praying, begging God to save their mama or their daddy, begging God to do something with their life. But in that time, they have turned aside. Preacher, it couldn't be me. You're the exact person it could be. That you turn aside and what will you do? Well, you'll serve other gods and worship them. You know what the great tragedy would be of 2024? It wouldn't be if you died. It wouldn't be if you went broke, became impoverished. It wouldn't be if your family fell apart, if your children despised you, if your wife or your husband left you. You know, that's not the worst thing that could happen to 2024. You know what the worst thing? You know what God's great warning is against his people? Is that you waste this year by serving other gods. 
What God will you serve this year? I didn't ask what God you believe in. I asked what God you'll serve this next year. He says you'll serve other gods and worship them. And then what will happen? Well, then the Lord's wrath will be kindled against you. And he shut up the heaven that there be no rain and that the land yield not her fruit. I don't want to have to learn any painful lessons from God this year. I may have to. And if, if my track record holds, I'll spend time in God's woodshed. But I don't want to. And can I tell you this, if you want your life to be a mess this coming year, I'm not saying if you serve God, you won't have problems. I'm not saying if you serve God, there won't be heartache. I'm saying this, if you won't serve him, I guarantee you there will be heartache. He gives them a lesson about the barns. But then look with me at verse 18. He says this, therefore, shall ye lay up these words, these my words in your heart. And in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. Ye shall teach them your children speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates. The first truth he gives them is about the barns, but the second truth he gives them is about the Bible. Can I tell you that what you do with this book will determine much about what goes and happens in 2024. What you do with this Bible will determine much about how this next year is for you. He mentions two things to them. Number one, he talks about how prominent they should make the Bible. Now, the Jews took this and and polluted and perverted it, created it into a a, a ceremonial uh, statute that has nothing to do with God's intent here. And that's the reason if you see an Orthodox Jew, you'll see the, the, their terminology is the phylacteries. They'll have a little bracelet that'll have the, uh, a, a small portion of scripture that's in it. They'll have, you know, a necklace or they'll have a, a headband that'll have a little, a little box with scripture in it. Was that really what God intended? I'll say this, for all of their wearing of the Word of God on them, it seems like very little of it got in them. And in your life and mine, it's true that It's not so much about owning this book, it's about reading this book. (laughs) It's about applying this book in our lives. And So let's stop and understand the deeper truth he's getting at here. Well, what does he say? He says, number one, lay it up in your heart and in your soul. My relationship to the Word of God is primarily, and I want to be careful how I say this, but it is primarily internal in nature. Now, that does not mean that I don't carry my Bible. It doesn't mean I don't read my Bible. It doesn't mean that I don't hold my Bible and love my Bible. And You ought to do all those things. But it is to say that if the Word of God is going to have any impact in your heart, it won't be because it's in your hand, and it won't even necessarily be because it runs across your eyes, but rather it'll be because it pierces into your heart and into your soul. Because you obey it, because you digest it, because I like that good Bible word, it is engrafted into you becomes a part of you. He says it ought to be in your heart and in your soul. And then he says this, you ought to bind them for a sign upon your hand. You know what that means? Everything our hand goes to do should be checked by Scripture. That they may be as frontlets between your eyes. You know what that means? Everywhere we look, we ought to look through a lens of Scripture. He says you shall teach them to your children. Speaking of them, when, preacher? Devotion time? No. When, preacher? When we have prayer? No. When, preacher, right before a meal? No. He says, when thou sittest in thine house. They get 95% of our time right there. Just that one phrase. When thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. You see, there's no posture in your home that shouldn't be framed by the Word of God. What I mean by that is this, that everything that we do in the Bible or in, in the home should be inundated by the Bible. 
It creates a weird breed of Christianity when we compartmentalize the truth of God's Word and spiritual ideals only to what we would consider to be public religious functions. We're literally training a generation of hypocrites when we do that. Actively so. How do we counterbalance that? How do we countervail that? Well, we do that by saturating our life with the Word of God. It ought to be you're always talking about the Bible with your kids. They'll have questions they'll ask you all the time. You ought to have a Bible answer for it. You say, well, preacher, I'm not that educated on the Bible. Well, number one, reading it helps. Number two, (laughs) there's nothing wrong with saying, son, I don't know. Let's open our Bible and see if we can find out. Nothing wrong with that. In other words, the Word of God should not be a byproduct. It shouldn't be an afterthought in your home. But rather, this is how public it should be. He says this, Thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates. Every time somebody enters your house, they ought to be entering a scriptural environment. I would say this, we ought to, if you want your 2024 to be what God wants it to be, you're going to have to make the Bible prominent. I see how prominent they should make it. Then verse 21, I, I notice this, how important they'd find it. It says this, that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon earth. Now, it's interesting. We live in a culture right now that is uh, that is enamored, obsessed with the notion of surviving. You know, there's no better way to survive than to apply the word of God to your life, to live the truth of the Bible day by day. But then I'd remind you what this land is he's speaking about. To us, it is representative of the victorious Christian life. The life that God desires and has designed for you and I. A life that is not framed or or, or characterized by defeat and discouragement and disheartenment, but rather by victory, rather by growth, rather by development of Christ in our identity and in our character. And here's what he says. If you want to consistently grow, if you want to dwell in the land, if you want your days to be multiplied in the land then you're going to have to apply these truths of the Word of God. We're really great at being really great every now and then. (laughs) Yeah, Mike, me too, man. I'm glad me and you are enjoying this preaching this morning. (laughs) We're really great at being really great every now and then. You know, one of the things that most of us are plagued with is inconsistency. We can get excited about God. And maintain that for at least 20, 30 minutes. But it doesn't take long. The weeds of, of this world's cares grow up around it, choke out the seed of the Word of God. It doesn't take long. We're distracted with other matters and other business. And so it's no wonder we have trouble with consistent growth. You know why? Because we're only con- occasionally applying the water of the Word of God. If we only occasionally water the seed then we shouldn't be surprised that we only occasionally grow. I, I pretend to raise a garden, and whenever we... I mean, I play around in the dirt and stuff, but um, you'll find that certain certain vegetables that you grow are very susceptible to the amount of water that they get. You can even see sometimes... I don't know if you've ever seen... But there are time, if you grow cucumbers... Cucumbers are funny. Cucumbers, you, 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 you either have none or enough to back fill a swimming pool and it changes from one day to the next (laughs) and um you know you'll even see in cucumbers sometimes some of our gardeners may correct me on this i hope not that'll love the preacher but but (laughs) but sometimes if you look on that cucumber you ever seen where it grows unevenly 
or maybe sometimes the end of it will begin to over-ripen too soon, or, or sometimes you'll see it and it'll be bigger on one end than it is on the other end. You know, sometimes what that's a product of is a period of drought that is followed by drenching rain. And so what happens? It grows misshapenly. It grows in a deformed manner. It has certain areas in which it seems to be very robust and very developed and then other areas where it is shriveled and, and undernourished. And, and you see, something like cucumbers, it takes it doesn't take a bunch at once. It takes consistently the right amount. You know, a lot of people's Christianity looks like that too. It's real puffed up in one area, but it's awful lacking in another. They're, they're, we was talking about them in Sunday school this morning. They're specialists. There's certain things they're really keyed in on. But then you begin to look at the totality of their consecration to Christ and you find all these spots that are mal and undernourished. You know why that is? Inconsistent application of the Word of God. You know what I want for you this year? And you know what I want for me this year? Consistent growth. Not occasional growth. Not specialized growth. But consistent growth. Here's what you're going to find. The measure in which you apply the Word of God to your life is going to dictate directly, correlate directly to the amount and consistency of the growth of your Christianity this year. It gives them a truth about the Bible. But then look at verse 22. He says this. For if ye shall diligently keep all these commandments, which I command you, to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, and to cleave unto Him, then will the Lord drive out all these nations from before you. Ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. He gives them a truth about the battles they would face this next year. I wish I could tell you that it's going to be smooth sailing, but I'm under no authority to do so. You'll have to tune into TBN to find that. On Wall Ridge Road, we're going to tell you if it can go bad, it probably will. My soul, somebody have church with me this morning. Y'all just staring at me like you don't know what's happening. I, I don't. Hey, listen, you know, the truth is you're probably going to have some battles this next year. You're probably going to face some things that today, if you knew today what you'll face, you might just crawl under your blanket and not want to get back out. I don't know. It's likely the case. Here's what I do know. There is not a single battle that will find entrance into your life that God is not already aware of and already planned for. He mentions two things. One, that if they would obey him, he mentions how God would guard them in their battle. He says, if you'll do all these things, if you'll apply the word of God to your life, if you will love me, if you will walk in all my ways, if you will cleave unto me, if you will make me the absolute focus of your life, he says this, you won't have to fight those battles. I'll go in and I'll fight those battles for you. wonder if some of our spiritual exhaustion is due to us fighting battles that belong to the Lord in the first place. I, listen, I ain't even preaching at you. Most of y'all done fell asleep. I'm preaching at me this morning. And I, I, I wonder how many times that the spiritual exhaustion that we feel is us appropriating responsibilities and embracing battles and picking up swords that aren't ours and saying, I have to fix this and I have to do this and I have to conquer this. When the whole time, if we'd be content to just say, now, Lord, I'm in your will. I'm confident in that. I'm following you. I'm obeying you. And whatever opposition I may face, God, you're going to have to take care of it. Here's what he says. He says, if you'll obey me, I'll guard you in those battles. But not only if they would obey him, how he would guard them, but how he would grow them through their battles. Look at verse 24. He says, every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. 
from the wilderness in Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea shall your coast be. There shall no man be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon, as he hath said unto you. He says this, every, every place that your foot touches, I'll give to you. Now, does that mean that God's going to give you everything you ask for? No. If he does, get me a Silverado. Leather, be nice. It don't even have to be leather, all right? Just make sure it's got the double cab, amen? If you figured that out, call Creflo and see how to do that. No, it doesn't mean that everything that you ask for you're going to get. But it does mean this. The only limitation to the development of your walk with Christ is the limitations that you place upon it. You can grow as much as you want this year. You can grow beyond what you even anticipate this year. And here's what he says. If you'll just trust me, these battles that you're facing, they won't kill you. They'll cultivate you. They won't destroy you. They'll develop you. They won't put you in a grave. They'll they'll grow you and cause you to develop further in your walk with him. We're so afraid of battles. I am too. I don't like battles. I don't like conflict. I don't like struggles. I don't like doubt. I don't like any of those things. I'm not, I'm not trying to heap that upon myself or embrace that. But I'm saying this, that the same God that's over the times of peace and the times of contentment is the same God that rests over the times of chaos and the times of conflict. And the same God that has grown you through his blessings can grow you through your battles as well. Why would God waste time putting us through storms and afflictions unless he had a plan for our life? So he reminds them in this passage, if they'd just obey him, God would grow them through their battles. There's one final thing. I'll mention it and be done. Look at verse 26. He says, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse, if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside out of the way, which I command you this day, to go after other gods, which you have not known. So he's giving them truths for their... New year. Truths for this new land. He gives them a truth about the barns. What would make their crops fruitful or what would make them fail? And we could say it real simply that if they would serve the Lord, God would meet their needs. But if they turn from Him, He would use want as a means of chastening. He gives them a truth about the Bible, how prominent they should make it. And I'll just say this, the Word of God should loom larger in 2024 in our lives than it did in 2023. It is not less relevant, it is more relevant than it has ever been. And we'll find it to be an important key function of our lives. He gives them a truth about the battles they would face, how God would guard them and would grow them. But the final word he gives them is about the blessings of the coming land. He says, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. Boy, that word blessing is getting a lot of tread and worn off of it, isn't it? Everybody uses the term blessing. And I, you know, it's a Bible term. I'm I'm not being cynical, or if I am, I'm not intending to be. But I just kind of think a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about what blessings are. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because there's been some people, they've said, well, they're a blessing. And I know that person. (laughs) So people have different ideas about what blessings are. And what a blessing looks like in your life. I'll tell you what a blessing is in your life. It's the will of God. Being lived out. The greatest blessing in your life will be if God's will is manifest in your life through your obedience to Him and through His working in your life. 
That's the greatest blessing you can hope for in 2024. And notice two thoughts he gives about having a blessed year. People will say that. You'll probably hear it even today or tonight, praying God's blessings upon you in the new year, have a blessed new year, things of that sort. Well, how do we do that? Notice, number one, the choice that lay before him. He said, you have a choice in the matter. He says, I'll lay before you this day a blessing and a curse. I was talking to a preacher friend the other day, and he was talking about a trial that he was going through. And he told me, he said, you know, I just rejoice that, you know, I don't think you can get any worse. And I messaged him back and I said, you can always get worse. <laughs> and he said, you're such a blessing. But I think his definition of blessing and uh, I'll tell you this, you'll have people that will tell you that invariably and inevitably 2024 will be good for you. I'm not telling you that this morning. In fact, I'm telling you quite the opposite. There's a lot that's in question in this next year. But understand that things are in question. There's some that would tell you that it's nothing but heartache, despair, destruction, loss, want. That's everything that lays before you. And I'm telling you, not if God has his way. And then there'll be others that'll say, I am, I am speaking and manifesting through the faith of my declaration good things to you. When they say that, reach around and check for your wallet. <laughs> and I'm telling you that may not be the case. In fact, I'm telling you this this morning. You actually have a choice about how this next year goes. Here's what God says. I'm giving you truth. And that truth is a sword and it cuts both ways. And it provides for you a blessing or a curse. See, God has told us how we can have what we would consider to be a blessed life in this next year. And so that means that we have a choice that we must make. We're going to go out of this place and we're generally going to be of one of three minds. We're going to leave this place feeling like we've already got everything figured out and that we don't need to change anything in our lives, that everything's exactly how it ought to be. And it won't stay how it is. It'll only get worse if that's your mentality. Or you may leave this place and saying, I don't care what the Bible says. This is the year of me and I'm going to live my life the way that I enjoy it. And while the devil and hell and all adults are laughing at you, you're going to make a mess of your life. Or you're going to stop and you're going to say, you know what? If I want this next year to be a blessing, I'm going to have to get my life in line with the truth of God's word. You see, you have a choice that's before you this year. And you're going to have to make that choice. I mean, 2024 is coming fast, like it or not. And you're going to have to make a decision as to what this year is going to hold for you and for your wife, for your husband, for your children, for your church family, for your friends. You're going to have a choice that you're going to have to make. I see the choice that lay before them. But then I want you to notice the choice that lay within them. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you can't get there in time, you can just listen along. But listen to what it says in verse 19 in the beginning of verse 20. After recounting and telling all these things, this is what Moses says. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Now, we've already read something similar to that in our text. But notice what he says. Therefore, choose life. Choose life. Choose life. I want to be very clear with what I'm about to say. There's... Mm, no, I don't know if I can say it right. I will just say it this way. There's a lot of people. Mm, you have to choose life for yourself and for your family. There's, there is a lot of, of hyper-focus in our life about what other people do to us, against us, 
and around us. But at the end of the day, those people don't choose life or death for you. You choose life or death for you. He says, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. That thou mayest love the Lord thy God. That thou mayest obey his voice. That thou mayest cleave unto him. For he is thy life and the length of thy days. You see, there wasn't just a choice that lay before them. Would they choose life or death? I want you to notice that this choice lay within them. In other words, it was their choice. You know, as long as we walk around characterizing our life by the things that others have done to us, we've embraced the mantle of a victim. Just as surely as any various people group that we would despise for doing the same. doesn't matter if we've made ourselves Christian victims as opposed to cultural victims. And if you're not careful, you'll become drunk on that. And it will ensnare you. It'll become a mire that you'll plant your feet in. And that will become the thing that characterizes your days. I'm telling you, choose life. The Bible's telling you, choose life. Preacher, don't you know what that... I'm telling you, choose life. But preacher, there's things I can't... But choose life. But preacher, didn't you hear how... But choose life. Because at the end of the day, nobody can choose death for you. And only you can choose life for you. I'll tell you what I'm going to do in 2024. I'm going to live. By the grace of God, I'm going to live. I'm going to live and and see God work in my life. I'm going to live and see God do great things in my life. Not because of me, but because of Him. I'm going to continue on and press on, not with my head buried in the sand, nor with my head hanging down between my feet, but in in, in boldness, in courage that, that God is faithful and that He's on the throne and that I don't have to allow the things that either have or could happen to me to characterize my life. See, here's what you and I need this coming year. We need to grow closer to God, lean in closer to God. I remember hearing a preacher say that. Man, it's just gotten more meaningful as the years come. Lean in to God. Lean in to God and let God do greater things in my life this year than last year. Ain't you afraid? Why should I be? Ain't you afraid, preacher? Why should I be? Preacher, ain't you worried? Why should I be? I've got a faithful God. I've got a loving Lord. He careth for the land that we're walking into year by year, from the beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year. So I want to encourage you this morning, as we go into a new year, choose life and let God have his will and way in your life. Let's bow together this morning. The musicians going to come play. I want you to meet the Lord in the altar. If he's spoken to your heart about some matter today, would you meet him down here? Say, preacher, I wouldn't even know what to say. Well, just be honest with him. Just be honest with him. Just tell him what's on your heart. Say, preacher, if I'm going to be honest, there are some things I'm scared about. Well, come tell them about them. Preacher, there are some things I'm nervous about. Well, come tell them about them. Ask for his strength. Ask for his boldness. Ask for his courage. Ask for him to help you as you go into this next year with excitement in your heart, with fervor in your service, and with devotion unto him. Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.